0: Coming to you from Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida. And streaming around the world. Around the world. You're now tuned in to the Sales Samurai Podcast, the only B2B sales podcast providing unfiltered, unapologetic views and tactics directly from the sales trenches. Here's
1: your host, Sam Capra.
0: Well, welcome to another episode of The Sales Samurai. Thanks for listening. Before we begin, do us a favor, take a moment to subscribe and download. On today's show, we're going to be discussing mastering your sales funnel, which I know for the audience is going to be, their ears are going to be perked up. And I have an amazing guest for you guys today, Ms. Liz Hyman, the CEO and Chief Sales Strategist for Regarding Sales. Liz, uh, how are you?
1: I'm great. Really, really happy today. It's a <laughs> beautiful air. It's a good day.
0: We're recording this on a Friday, late Friday. I mean, you can't be asking for much more. It's a Friday. You can't have too many complaints. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Liz, tell the audience a little bit. I mean, I know you very well just from your LinkedIn and just our network are pretty closely related, but share a little bit about yourself with the audience. Happy to
1: do that. So uh, Liz Hyman, and I am a sales consultant. And what I, I primarily do is help companies that are trying to grow or scale, build the sales infrastructure they need to do that. So whether it's a company that is just a startup that's funded, that has tremendous pressure to grow, or companies that have been around, some of my clients have been around 30 years and the world has changed and they're ready to change and do the things they need to do to really start growing again. So that's what I do. I've been in the world of sales for a very long time. I literally, as you know, Sam, (laughs) I grew up in it. (laughs) <laughs> so I, my dad wrote a book called Strategic Selling. And so I literally grew up in the business. And so it just kind of is a natural thing. I didn't think this is what I was going to do. I went to school, studied international political economy, and voila, I'm a sales consultant. <laughs>
0: so, That's a very easy segue. Those things are really closely related.
1: Perfectly natural. Actually, it's really cool because what my background gave me that a lot of sales consultants don't have is a real focus on process and, so, and research and understanding the numbers and those kinds of things that give me a kind of a different approach to helping people with their sales. So in some ways, it is natural, but one would never have expected it.
0: You know, it's funny. I always love those origin stories for the simple fact that not a lot of people ever grew up thinking to themselves, hey, I'm going to be a salesperson when I grow up. But it does tend to be, hey, it's something in the family. A lot of people I heard, you know, my dad, my mo- like you said, my dad wrote a book. And I know your mother was highly influenced in your career path. And obviously your sister and things of that nature. So it's a unique situation. Tell me a little bit about kind of what was your first sales gig? How did you kind of dip your toe into the sales space?
1: Oh, you will not believe this. My very first sales gig was selling bras.
0: Okay. That's a first.
1: I was... About 13 years old, I weighed less than a hundred pounds. And I can assure you I had absolutely no figure at the time. And the women would come in and go, What do you know about bras? I'm like, no, really, I know. Watch, try this one. And they'd be like, That's amazing. Yeah. But I learned my product. I learned what people needed and what they complained about and what they wanted to fix. And I knew what did what. And so even though I never wore anything like the people (laughs) that came in, I was able to help. So That was my very first sales gig. And my very first job was convincing people that I I actually knew what I was talking about.
0: That is amazing. Hey, so uh, you have been doing this a while. But let me ask you a first question. So obviously, I I love that piece of it because for me, it was selling, I can't remember, it was Cutco or some knife system or then it was a rainbow vacuum cleaner. A lot of, to all due respect to them, it was a tough role to kind of grind your teeth on. Oh, yeah. So what was the first kind of business to... Bit, a lot of people call it your professional, your first professional sales job. What'd that look like for you, Liz?
1: So you know, I started... I was not going to do sales, right? I wasn't going to do anything to do with sales. When I graduated from college, I was asked to come back to the business. I had been working for a company that did marketing. And I was asked to come to Miller-Hyman as the marketing director. So that was my very first position and learning what sales... Leaders care about and how to get them to respond to messages, right? So my first part of the job was lead jet, and actually, I had a whole team of people cold calling uh vPs of sales from major corporations. you know we were sending letters, not email because we just didn't do that yet that's how old I am <laughs> and then I went to graduate school to study international political economy and went to Japan and researched and. Wow! met all these amazing senior politicians and bureaucrats in Japan. And then my dad called me and said, okay, are you done fooling around? <laughs> <laughs> That's my dad. And will you come back to the company? We need someone to run Asia Pacific. So I had never had a professional sales job when I had to learn wow. how to run a division, how to sell, Had to sell, and I was selling to companies like Coca Cola Japan and Hewlett Packard Japan. And I had to manage a sales force of independent contractors who had been selling longer than I had been alive.
0: That is amazing. I mean, that you literally talking about deep end of the ocean or the deep side of the pool. Like you jumped in. Not only did you have to learn sales, but you had to scale out an organization, lead a sales team, all at the same time. That's an amazing story, Liz.
1: And I had to train the programs and convince people that I knew what I was talking about.
0: That's very close to the bra situation that that you were just explaining.
1: And I, again, that's right. You know, here I am, 30. I think I was 30 and I looked like I was 15. (laughs) And I walk into this room full of men at the time. There were very few women. Yeah. And uh, most of them were older than me. And I literally had to figure out how to convince them that I had something to say that they cared about and that I had to learn how to train these programs when I had never been until then in a world where I was selling enterprise sales. So yeah, I had to learn it all at the same time.
0: So I love that for the simple fact, A, that's a unique scenario. And I know we're going to talk about mastering the sales funnel, which obviously that's something that's very near and dear to your heart. But I think for the audience, there's a lot of people, maybe not to that degree, leading a, an organization and, and all at the same time, but kind of how did you kind of sink your teeth into that just from uh, hitting the ground, running, conveying, training people that, that maybe have more experience, a lot more experience. And like for those that are kind of stepping into a new role, like how did you kind of find your footing, if you will, Liz?
1: Well, the first thing was to walk the talk. So there was no pretending. I had to actually do what I was telling everyone else to do. And there was no other way around it. I had to go out and do it and learn it and help people with it at the same time. So there were no shortcuts. These were the rules. This is the way we did things. This is the processes we used. And I was going to use them. And I was going to use the language and I, and in my own division, use the funnel. And I will tell you, Again, so these guys that I was managing had been selling longer than I had been alive. And my first job as the head of the department was to go to Australia and meet these two Australian men who were in their late 50s, early 60s and convince them that they should be selling conceptual selling, not just strategic selling. So I already knew the programs, I'd been through them. I was leader trained, certified so I could train them. And I had to convince them this was a good program. And they were like, Liz, we don't like this program. We like strategic selling. And I'm like, you know, here's the thing, you guys, I love this program. And I sincerely did. I think it is so cool. And so I had to convince them to run through it with me, teaching it, working with them, showing them how it worked. And by the time we were done, they they were like, you know what, Liz, we love this. And so then my next thing that I had to do with them is convince them that they wanted to do a funnel review with me every month. Yeah. Which, again, I was a kid. What were they going to listen to me? And they did because I followed the process. I supported them. I asked them questions about what they needed to be successful. I asked them questions that mattered to them. And I helped them. I made those sessions positive for them. So that was my first sale. Then my next really big sale right after that was to fly over to Japan and meet with the VP of Coca-Cola Japan, who had, after I flew to Japan to meet him, his secretary informed me, his OL, office lady, informed me that I had 15 minutes. And I had my blue sheet done. I had my green sheet done. I had my, my call plan, my green sheet. I was all ready. And I thought, okay, I get one question. Essentially, a 15 minutes, I get one question. So I walked in, I bowed. He didn't know I spoke Japanese, Hajime-mashite, the whole thing. It's nice to meet you. And then he finally, finally asked me to sit down. (laughs) I was probably standing there for two minutes before he asked me, two minutes of our 15 minutes before he asked me to sit down. Right. He did not give me his business card. He did not take my business card, which is really in Japan. That's the first thing you do. He did not get up from his desk. He did not bow to me. He did not greet me. And I thought, this is okay. And so I sat down and I said, look, Coca-Cola worldwide uses Miller-Hyman. I know you guys have used it some. And I also know you're not using it a lot. So my job is to figure out how to make you your sales team successful using the Miller-Hyman programs. So if you just tell me what's not working and how can I get it working for you? right?" And he looked at me like I had just... Like, appeared out of nowhere. He was shocked.
0: Right.
1: He's like, You're here to ask me how you're going to help me, what help I need. I'm like, That's right. why I'm here. Yeah. And so, our 15 minute conversation turned into a 45 minute conversation. And the next day, he pulled his top two teams, his 7 Eleven team and one other team, gosh, I can't remember who, together for me to do blue sheet reviews with them.
0: That's great. Which
1: was, and when he pulled them out of the field. Like that, you're going to come work with Liz tomorrow. And so that was really my first, like, oh my God, how do you sell? And like, just jumping in to the deep
0: bed. That's amazing. I'll tell you why it's amazing to me, because I think you have to go through that, right? Like that in sales, that's people will call it a rite of passage, but that is really when they say grinding your teeth or finding your footing, that is the only way you learn right, wrong, and different how to kind of grow into yourself and figure out, hey, how do I avoid that from happening again? Or how do I recreate that to happen multiple times? Right, Liz, that's kind of the thought process I always took from it. Oh, yeah. Yep.
1: But again, I had really great training. In fact, we have this joke when I was working there is I created <laughs> these beautiful brochures when I was part of the marketing team. And then I would go to Japan, they give me a handful of brochures to hand out. And I yeah. come back with all of them. And they'd be like, why aren't you using these? And I finally said, I don't know how. Right. I don't know how to do that. I know how to go have a conversation with someone. That's what I was trained to do. I do not know what to do with this.
0: Yeah. That's that everybody
1: else wanted. Right. So (laughs)
0: that's great. That's cool. So let's jump in because this is something I feel like. Every one of my audience has always kind of said, hey, listen, deal management, people say a multitude of different ways. How do I manage a deal? Pipeline reviews, deal acceleration, the whole deal pipeline things, sales funnel, if you will. So this is really top of mind for me as well. Obviously, I, I lead a sales team. And this is always things I think you should find the best ways of driving efficiencies. That way you can replicate and try to identify risk and potential opportunities as well within your deals. So I want to jump in this a little bit with you and kind of get your thoughts on this. But we were talking offline and we were saying, hey, listen, one of the biggest areas or biggest challenge around sales funnel and mastering your sales funnel is this the overwhelmingness of it. So talk to me a little bit about that. Give a little context if you don't mind, Liz.
1: So I'm just like every other salesperson in the world. I pull up my CRM and go, Right. Right. It's just this overwhelming amount of information. And somehow I have to figure out what I'm doing next. So there's a couple ways that I can decide that. And the way most of us decide that is by whoever calls first, whoever sent me an email, whoever called, right? Because I don't really have a good way of prioritizing all of the stuff that's in my funnel. So when we create a funnel, when we create a sales process, which is the steps of the funnel. So when I, I use the word funnel instead of pipeline, let me just do that really quickly. The reason I use the word funnel instead of pipeline is because of the shape. Yeah. Pipeline implies I turn it on and turn it off. When I turn it on, water comes out. means come out, when I turn it off, they stop. Well, that's kind of true, but it's not really true because what happens is a whole bunch comes into the top and over time they fall away. Right. In Miller we used to talk about it as a sieve as well as a funnel, right? So stuff falls out. Right. And we want it to fall out because what we want to do is prioritize that stuff that is going to close and eliminate that stuff that's wasting our time. So that's the very first thing is to really think about what is a qualified lead versus an unqualified lead. And as it's moving through the funnel, does it become unqualified and clearly not moving forward? So the first thing I do is look at the process of qualifying, not just in that stage of qualifying, but throughout the entire funnel so that I can prioritize in and prioritize out those leads that are or not helpful. The other thing it does is give us another way of prioritizing. So typically, if you ask people, what is the most important, what's my first priority? Right. Almost everybody says, oh, well, closing business. That's right. You put all that work into getting there. You got to close it. Let's not forget and do something else. This is my first priority, right? Right. It may not take the most time. Actually, closing business is usually relatively quick. Once you've gotten to that point and you just need a check and a signature, it's a relatively fast process. It doesn't take a tremendous amount of time if you've done the work leading up to it. Right. But then what's your second priority? And the second priority is surprising, but it's, you go back up to prospecting. You go to the top of the funnel because here's what I know. For everything I close out the bottom of the funnel, I probably need 10 things in the top of the funnel, right? Or whatever your numbers are, it doesn't matter. But as long as you know that, you can look at your funnel at any time and go, whew, I don't have enough in the top of the funnel. If it's, I've got a six month sales cycle to close what I need six months from now, right? So by understanding our funnel, we can prioritize our work, make sure that we get the stuff in the top of the funnel, that we do the work to qualify. And then we do the work that takes the most time, which is covering the bases, nurturing the relationship, Right. Moving that self forward to the point where you have a proposal that is going to be signed and you're ready to get the signature in the check. So we use the funnel to help us prioritize what work has to happen. If I do not put my prospecting work in my, fun, in my day, if I don't schedule it in, guess how often it'll happen?
0: <laughs> right. Very little, if at all. If,
1: right. So I have to prioritize it. I have to schedule it, make myself do it. And then the other thing is when I look at my funnel and I look at the shape and I look at the numbers, if I know what my personal ratios are, how much I typically qualify out, how much goes from close to one, whatever. Well, if I know those, then I can look at my funnel and prioritize and say, I've got nothing in qualify. So what's up here in prospecting that I need to get in touch with these people and pull it down? So I can look at my funnel at any time and have it tell me what my priorities are based on. Stuff's not moving. Okay, if stuff's not moving, then what? Right? It helps me to prioritize my activities instead of just taking action, which is what we often do as salespeople. We just stay busy. It helps us prioritize so that busy is effective.
0: There's a few things I want to get your thoughts on this because you brought up a tremendous amount of information. I know we'll peel that back even further, but a couple of things that you brought up. A, is obviously the goal is closing business. That's why we're here is to get, but you're right. That's usually... I don't want to say eat, but when you get to the point where it's actually at that point, it's usually the the easiest piece of it. But the prospecting is kind of the where the rubber meets the road. Because you're right, as you get more stuff moving down funnel, you lose focus of the top of the funnel and you have all these peaks and valleys in your pipeline, which eventually catch up with you, right? If you have a three, six, nine month selling cycle, but you stop prospecting for two months trying to close business, you're dead in three or six months. And so it's the law of diminishing return. So it is amazing that you go from the closing right to the, like there's that Delta you're saying, hey, I got to go back and I got to focus on my prospecting.
1: If something's coming out the bottom, then how much does it go in the top?
0: And I love the fact that you called out that, hey, I've got to actually plan for it. Look, you took it a step further and said, if I don't plan a block of time for prospecting, it'll never happen. And I think that's a good tactical lesson, right? Liz, you actually take it a step further and actually map out on a calendar hey, this is dedicated for prospecting or am I overthinking that a little bit?
1: No, that's exactly what I mean. And I have friends that do it in lots of ways. My friend Catherine Brown has something, she calls it prospecting Friday or something, follow-up Friday. She calls it (laughs) follow-up Friday. She says, this is what we're gonna do during this time. My calendar has my prospecting time on it. It has my follow-up time on it. So if you're not doing that, and I actually tell my clients, put it in there as an appointment that's busy no one can schedule time because everybody will schedule over it if you don't mark it as busy and it's as important as anything else you do any meeting you have you've got to make time for that
0: that is a great call on i followed that an old colleague of mine gave me that it wasn't something i thought of and he it's busy it's on my calendar and i actually even put in the title do not try to block do not try to book prospecting time i mean just to take it a step further that And sometimes, right, Liz, you have to manage up, right? That's an expectation I have within the organization. Like, hey, this is prime time. I'm not taking any other meetings outside of this.
1: And the other thing that I do is not only do I put that time in there, I look at my funnel and decide what am I doing? Who am I calling? Who am I prospecting? What work am I doing during that time so that I don't get to it and go, Oh, let me flip up my funnel, my CRM. Oh, gosh, there's all these overdue right. activity. You know, right? It yeah. just becomes overwhelming. So I actually put it in that prospecting time. Who am I calling? What am I doing?
0: I like that. That it's another layer to the granularity, like being very specific and very hyper focused on what am I doing at this point that's going to drive success at the top of the funnel and onward. That's awesome. So. One of the things that I love, and you've already kind of touched on it, is being honest and knowing your numbers and reverse engineering it because you know it takes 10 deals to get I mean 10 leads to get to one opportunity or one closed deal. But talk about that honest assessment. Like you you and I were talking about that, being really honest with yourself. And an old colleague of mine or someone I actually spoke to, he brought up a good point. He says you should actively be trying to kill deals. Like that's how you should almost approach it. Like, yeah, not just trying to sell things, but kill out things that are just not viable. So talk to me about being honest.
1: Yeah. And I call it qualifying out. And I always say it is as important to qualify out as it is to qualify in. And the reason is this, (laughs) open up your CRM. How many things are in there that really just distract you and never going to turn into anything? As long as you have all those distractions, you're not focused on what really matters. So there are the guys, the people, the buyers whatever you want to call them that say oh well call me in 6 months oh well maybe yeah <laughs> maybe we'll get budget you know what right they're not qualified you want to put them in your in your prospecting list and do that fine but they're not in your funnel get them out of your funnel put them back up in prospecting and see call them in 6 months and see if they're ready and if after 2 years <laughs> they're not get rid of them right but as we move into the funnel i actually had a client and I'll show this with you because it may help you yep. think of it differently. I had a client and he was not putting any money into marketing. And I said, look, you've got to put some money into marketing. They need good leads to follow up on. And he said, their funnels are full. And I said, their funnels are full of crap. There is nothing in there except three or four things out of the hundred that are going to close. Right. So no, they're just keeping them in there because they're afraid that their funnel will look empty well, get your funnel looking empty because it will get you prospecting. If your funnel looks full, you don't need to prospect. But if it's full of things that are not going to close, all you're doing is wasting time.
0: Yeah. That's a good call out. And so like, what are some of the key, like, how do you try to kill things out? Like, what are some of the, like you said, budge, like you were talking about that. Are there like just little red flags that you're like, listen, nine times out of 10, this is a great red flag or Risk versus reward. That nine times out of ten, this is not going the right. Are there certain little KPIs or certain little things that you look for, Liz?
1: Uh, Let Let me put it a different way. Okay. So the first thing is, do they really fit my ideal customer profile? Because my chances of closing those deals that are in my ideal customer profile range are like ninety percent more likely to close than those that are not. Right. And they will take less time. They will spend more money they will buy more stuff from us later. Like this is all math that's been done over and over and over again. Yeah. So if it's not my ideal customer, there's got to be a really good reason for it to stay in my funnel. So the first thing I want to do is figure out, do they really need what I'm selling? Is it really the right fit for the problem that they have? Do they have the right philosophy about business? You know, if they there's this whole thing about psychographics that people don't really understand. So when we're picking our ideal customer profile, we're talking about demographics. What technology do they use? How big are they? What state are they in? Whatever. All these measurable things. But there's this other things called psychographics, which have to do with how they buy, how they treat customers, what things they value. If I'm selling something that's going to save them money, and they aren't focused on saving money, they're focused on creativity than going in and focusing on saving money or trying to sell something that's saving money when that's not the focus of the customer, it's not going to really work. So we want to make sure that they share the values that we have as a company. And so the first thing is, if they're not talking the same language, if a product isn't really a good fit, if it's going to require a tremendous amount of change in their organization that they're not going to be able to do, then maybe they're not your ideal customer. And maybe you should just qualify them out And move on. And if they're really interested, tell them what the qualifications are in order for them to be able to work with you successfully. Wow, that's an idea, right? Actually, tell your customer, look, this is not a good fit and you're not going to be happy. And if you want to use this product, here are the things that you're going to need to do in order for that to work and let them qualify themselves out. We never want to do that. We don't want to ask the questions that are going to indicate that it's not going to be a good fit. We don't want to look for Um, people who might quash the deal. We don't want to look for technology issues. We just want to plow forward. We'll look for all those potential problems and then decide, can we fix this or can't we fix it? So that made Siri think I needed to talk to him, her, whatever. So if we really understand what in our sale are the things that are going to make it a failure, then it's really easy to look for those and ask for them. A story that I often tell, forgive me if you've heard me tell this story, but when I was a kid, we used to have a, a little female German Shepherd. We always had German Shepherds, but we happened to have, they were always male. We happened to have this little female German Shepherd. And if you turned your back on her, she bit you in the butt every time.
0: That's my kind of dog.
1: <laughs> so that's how I think of the problems that we want to avoid, the objections that we don't want to talk about. Deal with them now, early, and figure out if you can address them. If you can't qualify it out, instead of going forward and hoping it won't come up, and having it come up when you're ready to close, right?
0: I love that. It's a good call. and you know you hit the nail so hard on the head around we are overly optimistic as salespeople because we don't we put, we put the blinders on that, especially if you have a very lean funnel. You'll hold on to something until until something else comes along,
1: right? And it's not going to come along it's if you're not working on it coming right. along, right?
0: Exactly. But what I love about that is I try to go back through deals that I've sold and said, hey, here's where the red flags that I missed. I can't let that happen again. And so I apply those to future deals like, hey, when that happened with that, let me be on the lookout for it. And if I start to see that bubble, let me get ahead of it. Let me address it. Let me go to my champion to resolve it, figure out what's going on from a political standpoint so we can work around it. If we can work around it, if we can't, that can become a knockout from that standpoint but I love those components of things.
1: The other piece of that is what you're talking about is do I have a champion and will my champion introduce me to the other people in the organization that I need to meet? If the person right. you're talking to says, "Oh no, I'm the only person that matters. You only talk to right. me." That's a pretty darn right. good red flag, right? Because no one person makes a decision on a multi-million dollar or multi-hundred thousand dollar deal. It just doesn't happen. It impacts too many parts of the organization. There's too many people who who want their say, it just isn't going to happen. So that is a really good red flag.
0: Yeah, you know what, that's a good call up because you know, we've started to do that analysis internally. It's like how many deals that are single thread versus multi-thread are we winning, losing? And you see it's a pretty lot, especially in today's environment with this consensus sell and those type of things. You're right, if you start to see you're single threaded and you're late stage, that is a huge red flag. If you're even truly late stage, that is a huge red flag that you need to be aware of.
1: Well, and it's one of the things that makes closed dates slip, right? So as a right. manager, if I'm looking at it from a manager's perspective, and I keep going, why do these closed dates keep slipping? Well, let's look back at right. that one factor and see how many of it closes because the person you were talking to didn't even know what was required to make the purchase. They didn't even know who all the people were, and they certainly didn't connect you with them. So big problem.
0: Without a doubt. So let's talk a little bit about, because one of the things we were also talking about is funnel reviews. and. I think of a funnel review, what immediately comes to mind is a one-on-one. There's more strategic ways of bringing that up. And not necessarily it has to be a one-on-one. But when you're doing a funnel review, I love one of the things we were talking about was asking the tough questions. So talk to us a little bit about asking the tough questions and how to manage the funnel from an expectation, not just the bottom. I know you and I were talking about that as well. Many times we're so laser focused on what's going to close, what's going to happen, that we lose sight of that top of funnel, which is, as we've already discussed. Is so instrumental. So help us understand a little bit better, Liz. So
1: the first thing is that there's two kinds of funnel reviews. One is the funnel review I do myself of my own work. And the other is the funnel review that a manager does with a sales rep. So the first thing is that it is not a beat up session, whether I'm doing it with myself or somebody is doing it with me. If we're using this as an opportunity to beat up our salespeople, it is a failure right from the start. They don't want to do it. They don't learn anything. They don't, you know, it's, right. it's the conversation. It's just bad. So there's a difference between asking tough questions and beating people up. We're asking tough questions because we're looking for solutions. We're looking for actions. We're looking for reasons to qualify something out or in. We're looking for the stuff that's going to help the sale move forward or go away. So the sales rep can focus. And sometimes we need another brain on it. Right. Right to look at it and say, oh well, you're only talking to one person and you're this far along. Let's do something about that. So the first thing is to look at my funnel. I want to look at the shape. Are my ratios right? Right, that's the first thing.
0: So, Liz, so first you're doing, like you said, and I'm glad you called that out. There's your own assessment, doing it yourself, a review of your own, and then there's the a manager or a colleague that you're bouncing ideas off of. So initially, you're doing this first to evaluate the shape of the funnel. Just want to make sure I'm clarifying that.
1: So, right. I'm Even if I'm about to walk into a funnel review with my senior person, I better do my own funnel review first. So the first thing I want to do is look at the shape. Does the shape look balanced? Does it look like it's going to deliver the results that I need? The second thing I want to do is look at close dates and say, are these close dates real? Have they changed? Are they accurate? Do I not even have a clue? So the second thing I want to do is look at close date. Third thing I want to do is look at the stages. Are these in the right stages? are they just stuck somewhere? Are they really still in qualify and I have them, you know, further down, whatever. So are they in the right stage? And then then the next thing that I look for is what's the next action? So what's the next action I need the customer to take to move this sale forward? Because without commitment on my customer side, it's never going to move forward. I can commit all day long. I can do all kinds of things, but if they're not making a commitment, it's not moving forward. So those commitments, I'm going to ask, If I have a a sales rep, do you have a commitment to be introduced to the CEO? Do you have a commitment to review that proposal together? Do you have a commitment to have the IT person walk you through the technology? Whatever it is, what is the commitment that moves this to the next level? And if you don't have a commitment except follow up, and that if you look at most people's salespeople's funnels, raise your hand because you know you're out there. What does it say? Follow up all the way down. Follow up. The problem with this is twofold. One is it's just lazy, right? Follow-up doesn't really mean anything. But what's really important about it is if all I have is the word follow-up, when it's time to do it, what am I supposed to do? And if my entire funnel says that, I'm sorry, I can't remember the last conversation I had with somebody unless I look. I've talked to how many people and I'm supposed to look at that name and company and remember where we were and who I talked to and what happened. You've got to write it down. You've got to put your notes in there so you know what happened and you've got to have your next action. And I put my next action in when I hang up the phone or walk out of that meeting. This is what I'm going to do next. We're going to review this on this date and then I'm going to ask them for this, right? So if I'm doing a funnel review with somebody and all I see is follow up, that I'm going to have them go back and do the work to figure out what are... If you don't know what the next action is, that's a problem. Right. Follow up isn't an action. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't do anything. So those are the kinds of things that I'm going to look for. And I'm, I'm going to, whether it's my own funnel or I'm doing it with somebody else, if we just focus on what's closing, we've talked about this before, it's problematic. And managers do it all the time. Company owners, leaders do it all the time. They pound their salespeople for what's happening this quarter. And then next quarter, they pound them for ha- what's happening next quarter. So what's the sales team focused on? The bottom of the funnel. What happens when all anybody's focused on is the bottom of the funnel? nothing goes in the top, Yeah, nothing moves. And so we have to teach our sales managers, our sales leaders, our founders, our salespeople, everyone about the importance of having a balanced funnel and reviewing the entire funnel, not just the bottom of the funnel, which nobody seems to have time for anything more than the bottom of the funnel. But if you haven't done all the work to get to the bottom of the funnel, when you think it's going to close, it doesn't close. And so the reason the, clo- the deals are falling out or pushing back is because nobody did the work up in qualify and cultivate when they were supposed to be doing
0: yeah but you know it's funny you bring that up because you're, you're so right I mean I've even found myself since our last conversation reevaluating that okay. and looking at it I was like you know we are like, that's the only thing we really talk about is the bottom of the funnel we why are we doing that somewhere along the way trying to scale and trying to drive revenue you kind of said well, that's where it's at let's let's focus there but it can't be there unless it started at the top, right? So that I'm almost a believer of that the top is one drives revenue, but I think they both do. But top of the funnel is just as important, if not more important, because if you don't get it started, you can never close it, right, Liz? I mean, it's kind of a, a misnomer from that standpoint.
1: Right. And it's why everybody's always focused on the bottom of the funnel, because there's not enough there and they're scared to death. And until they change the behavior, it will always be that way. And it's painful for everybody. It's just unfortunate.
0: Yeah. You know, along the temp, tough questions, I agree with you. And it can easily turn into a beat up session if you let it either internally by doing it yourself. Like, Hey, you did everything wrong. You messed up here. You messed up there. Or as a manager, obviously that's not productive, but you should be candid enough with yourself from a self-critiquing standpoint. All right, here's why I went off the tracks. Doesn't mean I can't recover. That should prompt what you do as a next step, right? Let me go to my champion. I missed this. Let me bounce it off him. Let me fill in that gap. It's kind of like a gap analysis, right? Liz, when you kind of look at it, here's what I'm missing. Okay, let me propose that as a next step to shore it up. And if I can't, now it becomes a risk that I have to evaluate and really think long and hard of. Like, that's kind of my philosophy, but I don't know if that completely jives, but I want to bounce it off of you.
1: No, it positively does. And if I'm the sales manager and I'm having this conversation and I say, hey, this has been in your funnel a really long time and it hasn't moved. Right. So what's up?" What's going on with them? Okay, so what do you think? Do you need somebody else in the organization to talk to them? Do you need marketing to do a campaign? Like, what do you mean to move the sale forward or is it really dead and just hanging out in your funnel, right? That's what I mean by tough questions. I don't mean unkind questions. I mean, tough questions. <laughs> should this even be in your funnel or should it go away? Should we send it back to marketing to pursue? Should we, you know, write that one off because you are 90% certain the is gonna get it. So how much more time are we going to spend writing proposals and putting our engineers to work for something that you're pretty certain the competitors got?
0: Yeah, that's fantastic.
1: We have, and maybe you still do. But the question is, when I'm looking at the funnel, I need to be able to make those decisions with leadership or by myself about what makes sense and what doesn't. And if I'm not pursuing something, I need to be able to explain to whoever's doing the funnel re- review with me why I don't think that's a good decision. To pursue that, yeah. So that, that's what I mean by tough questions. I don't mean, "What are you stupid?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is common phrasing in sales meetings. Yeah.
0: Actually, I think it depends on when you came up in sales. Twenty <laughs> years ago, when I came up, that was a very common. Uh, that was my tough question to, to my leaders. Question to me, "What are you, an idiot?" Things have evolved since then. I think, fortunately, yeah, fortunately. But one of the things I was going to mention to you, I want to get your thoughts on this, is that as you're going through. This kind of this self-assessment, this self-critique, and as you're kind of working your way through that, like, you've really got to be hype, Like, this is where the honesty check, the honest assessment needs to come in. I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse, but this does not mean you've screwed up and you cannot recover. Be honest, address it, and try to rectify it and get it back on path. And if you can't, then to your point, and I think this, Liz, is somewhere we fail as a sales profession. We try to do so much on our own. Why not? Hey, let's strategize. How do I get my VP involved? How do I get my CEO involved? How do I get the marketing involved to give me some air cover? Like we fail as a sales professional in really leveraging all the resources around us.
1: And part of that is because a lot of organizations don't provide that support to sales. They think that sales is a separate entity out on an island all by itself. And we should just leave them alone and let them do what they're doing and then ask them what's going to close. Like, I think that's why it's in the situation we're in. And until companies recognize that their product may be the soul of the company, but their sales team is the heart of the company and it pumps the lifeblood through the company and without them, you don't have anything. And instead of treating the sales reps like they should be out on an island by themselves, we need to incorporate them into the larger entity and help everybody understand how they support each other, but we separate them out. And part of it is because we hire really awful salespeople who are jerky and nobody likes them. And we think that that's what sales is. So we think that's what we should hire. But you and I both know that if they're arrogant and obnoxious, then our clients think they're arrogant and obnoxious, and that's not who we want. And if they can't get along with our own people in our company, why would we send them out to our customers? Right? That's part of the problem. But it all, again. That funnel is not just my lifeblood as a sales rep or how I'm you know, am going to survive in this company as a sales manager or sales leader. It's how the company should be deciding how resources get spent. So if that funnel is nonsense, if it's just utter garbage and nobody can project from it, nobody really knows what's going on. Yeah. How do you decide whether you need to put money, resources on the marketing side or on the delivery side? How do you decide when the salespeople need training? How do you figure any of this out? If you can't trust those numbers.
0: Yeah, that's a good call out. That's a good call out, especially from a leadership. That forecast enables you to make strategic decisions, either which way, conservatively or being a little bit more aggressive based on what you're seeing from a number standpoint. We were talking about this offline and we're gonna have this in the show notes that a tool you leverage or you mentioned to me was a daily funnel worksheet. Walk us through that a bit, Liz, and what the framework might look like.
1: Here's what happens. But I think it happens to a lot of salespeople. They pull up their funnel or they pull up the CRM and it is physically overwhelming. And it's really hard to figure out what's next. And then you go, oh, well, what was my last email from him? And then you're in your email and you're out of your funnel and you're doing email and 30 minutes later, oh, I was working on, my right? We bounce all over the place. There's so much input, we can't focus. So what I like to do is every day or the day before, sit down with my CRM and say, okay, I have four kinds of work that need to be done. I've got prospecting that needs to be done. I've got qualifying that needs to be done. I've got cultivating relationships that needs to be done. And I've got closing that needs to be done. So let me write down on my piece of paper that I have in front of me, which work I'm going to do either today, if I'm doing it in the morning or tomorrow. So when I sit down, I don't have that overwhelm, don't know what to do next. I'll just respond to email kind of reaction, but I've prioritized my day. So I have a really pretty fun worksheet to do that in because it can be not very fun. So I thought, well, let's make this fun and colorful and bright. So we actually want to use it. And so, yeah, they can definitely download, get that from you. I'll send you that. But it really helps, again, with this idea of prioritizing what needs to happen today. Before I get into my email, before I start bopping around about what my next to-dos are, let's look at the funnel and figure out what's the most important stuff that has to happen.
0: I love that. It definitely. We're going to put in the show notes and give that access to the audience. I appreciate you offering that, Liz. But you're right. I mean, so much, there's always this, this yin and yang of science and art. There's so much stuff. People like, I don't like process. I don't like scripts. I'm, I'm a good salesperson. I'm a born salesperson but the ones i've always been i've seen and i've been around have a very regimented it's fluid to some degree but it's the process is the process they know exactly where they're at where they need to be where they're missing and that way they can hone it moving forward and i think we've lost that i know i have it through the past lost that and to try and be more salesy if you will and not have a regimented process so i love the fact that this worksheet that can you made it fun. You made it colorful because these are the things you have to do. It's a part of a process you need to follow to make the best use of your time. Right, Liz?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I want to go back to something you said about process. And we are so process hesitant as a culture, right? But, but imagine as an artist that you are going to paint a painting. Right. You don't just start slapping paint on the page.
0: <laughs> I, get well, I to- do. you. do. I do. <laughs> but I'm a horrible painter, Liz, so that should tell you something.
1: But even people who are abstract artists yeah. who are throwing paint, they've thought about exactly what they want to have happen. Right. They right. didn't just start throwing paint. They right. didn't just pick up a brush and mix some color and start painting and see what came out. They had a process. They have a process for mixing the paint. They have a process for getting ready to start painting. They have a process for when they're done painting to make sure it's ready tomorrow. They have a process. They have an order that they do things in. I paint the background first or paint the background last or whatever it is. We talk about sales as an art and that's great, but even art has process behind it if it's really good art. So if we want to have the freedom to be creative, we need to put the pieces in place that help us make sure the critical work gets done so we can be creative about how we do it.
0: I think that's a great segue there from Hey, you could be creative, but be creative along the process path, right? I mean, there's a lot of creative creativity that is given to you, but have the structure, because how I've always equated it is I always find it a challenge, or I used to, especially younger in, in my early career, of figuring out, why did I close that one? Like, that was a big deal. Like, where did that go so right versus so wrong on this deal? And if I can't track it back to a space and a process, I can never fix it moving forward. Like you can't replicate it. I mean, it's just hard to replicate something that's not process oriented.
1: And if you go back to the days when my dad actually wrote strategic selling with Bob Miller, what's really interesting is they didn't start and say, let's create a process out of thin air. What they did is said, some salespeople are really consistent and successful and they don't have big ups and downs in their funnel and They tend to not lose deals at the last minute, no surprises and so forth. So they went and looked at those salespeople and figured out what they were doing, what their process was and how what things they were consistent about. And that's how they came up with the process. So it's not like they just somebody just said, oh, we should put methodology around sales. Let's just create one out of thin air. That that's not the point. The point is to say what will make me successful? What do other people do that's successful? And what will make me successful? And how do I be consistent about making sure that gets done? So I hit my numbers consistently and have the life I want because I've got the revenue coming in to support it, right? And I don't have the the emotional ups and downs of, oh, God, I've got no business this week. Without a doubt. I've got nothing to close. And my boss is going to come ask me what's going to close. And I got nothing, right? That's stress we don't need.
0: Without a doubt. It's always funny to me because an old mentor of mine used to say, hey, you show me a great salesperson. I'll show you that they have a process. Even if they don't think they do, when you kind of get into the weeds with them, they can walk you through. They just have never really kind of thought of it that way. And when he brought that to me, I was like, you know what? That's, I never thought of it. Like a lot of great people that, that swear, oh, I don't really have a process. I don't follow a script. But When you kind of boil it down, you talk them through, well, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? It's very replicate. Like they do, they just don't really acknowledge it that way. Well, and I
1: think a process and a script are two different things. Right. So if you have a process, you may have a list of questions that you're going to pick from to have a conversation, but that doesn't mean that you have a script that says, I asked this question and then I asked this question and then I, sure. regardless of their answer, and then I ask this question. Right? That's right. not helpful. <laughs> Our scripts are there right. to give us a beginning place for a conversation. You can't force a conversation to go a direction it doesn't sure. want to go. So
0: without a doubt,
1: the process supports. The creativity. It takes the stress away. It makes selling a lot nicer. That's, you
0: know. (laughs) Let's just boil it down to that. It just makes it a lot nicer and a lot, it does quench the insanity that can come from just the chaos that if you don't follow a process of sorts. So, how do people learn more about you, Liz, and, and your consulting business? Help our audience kind of find you. I know you're really active on LinkedIn.
1: Yes, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. I'm Liz Hyman, H E I M A N. And I'm the only one, surprisingly, I'm the only one. So you should be able to find me. And then if you want to go to my website, it's simple. It's regarding sales.com. And you can find some articles and podcasts and webinars and various things there that would be of interest. And if you want to talk to me, you can schedule a strategy session and I will meet you and we can talk for 30 minutes. So if you have questions after this, please feel free.
0: Awesome. We're going to put all that in the show notes for the audience. So they don't have to remember it and jot it down. Liz, I absolutely appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Me too. Thanks for having me, Sam.
0: Thank you for listening to the sales samurai podcast with your host, Sam Capra. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast and visit sales and join the conversation, access show notes and discover bonus content.